This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of Dune Talk. So this is the show where we talk about everything in the world of Dune, whether it's the movies, uh, books, comics, uh, games, anything that that's, is going on related to this uh, uh, science fiction epic story that's uh, already been going for, for many generations. So this is uh, Marcus uh, Gabriel uh, here today with Garen. Hey everybody, it's Garen. Uh, excited to be back. Uh, just when you thought there wasn't a lot to talk about, we have a lot to talk about today. So I'm excited to get into it. Yes, everyone. Hi, Johnny Sobchak here. It's been a bit of a layoff, but we are uh, returning and I'm excited to be back and chatting up with the guys and just kind of getting up to date on everything Dune. Hey, Simon here, Australia. Welcome to the party. Hope you're enjoying the movie. So let's actually go ahead and start with uh, movie news. Dune movie news. So the first uh, first story we want to cover is uh, box office updates, and uh, that ties into what Simon just mentioned. That the movie has uh, premiered in in Australia and, and New Zealand, so we we know the, the opening uh, weekend from there, and um, also it's returned to IMAX uh, theaters uh, both in the United States and uh, many other countries as, as well. So if you didn't have a chance to watch it in in IMAX those first few weeks, whenever it was available in, in your country. Uh, that there are currently show, showings going on. Um, so the big uh, update is that Dune has uh, reached uh, 382.2 million at the World Bike, uh, Box Office as of uh, this past weekend, December 5th. Um, and the film earned 5.1 million overseas, and that includes Australia, as I mentioned. So most of that came from Australia, 3.4 million from its uh Premier Weekend, Dune has, has, as expected, crossed the 100 million mark uh, domestically. And uh, now with, uh, with IMAX, we're seeing things uh, pick up again a bit. So I want to start with uh, one question uh, to you, Simon. We, we've seen that uh, Dune has been like, yeah, uh, an overwhelming su- success, but especially when we look at the overseas uh, box office. So 73% of um, that 382 million is coming from, from overseas. And if you look at um, the this year, uh, it's the fourth fourth best uh, performing Hollywood movie overseas, while domestically it's the seventh best. So, from your perspective, what's driving this? I guess a bit better reception overseas compared to uh, domestic. I wonder if people are more familiar with the source material, the novel. Um, that could be it. I know growing up in France, a lot of science fiction is big in France. I'm going to use France as the example. Um, Like my brother, he's a big sci-fi guy. He got me into Philip K. Dick. He's the one that introduced me to Blade Runner when I was younger. So I feel like there's a big reader audience that might be familiar with the works of Frank Herbert. And I think that's what's driving it. You know, it's always interesting to see different cultures different you know countries to see how they react to films and i think maybe a lot of people were afraid here or were just not interested and obviously you know covid has a big deal with it some people might just not go to the movies i don't know it's it's interesting i'm curious if it is a culture thing that people might just be more interested because they have less selections also Maybe it's the audience. Maybe Rebecca Ferguson is from Sweden, I think, last time 
I check. I think she was born there. Xiaomi is, you know, French American. So he has his fan base in France also. It's maybe the international cast. I don't know. I'm curious to know what you guys think. Why it's doing so well overseas compared to, you know, the U.S. and Canada. Hey, you guys, I remember in 84, Lynch's movie, as you, as you know, didn't do well in the U.S., but I remember just a couple of years later hearing that it was still very popular in Germany, that it became kind of a cult favorite in Germany when it took many more years for it to become a cult favorite here. So there was something about Germany that I remember seeing uh, as a young teenager that they resonated with. There was something that captured you know, their, their uh, attention around that film that didn't get captured uh, among the, the viewers here. So I don't know, there, there must be maybe some cultural differences, maybe, maybe like you said, uh, Simon, more acceptance or uh, more readership around the original novel. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, let's not under, understate how well it is doing domestically. I feel that it, it would be easy to overlook that, uh, especially considering the HBO Max stipulation, which has been pretty detrimental to essentially every single movie that has come out in that uh, release strategy for Warner Brothers this year. Their only other real significant hit is Godzilla versus Kong, which of course did gangbusters overseas, particularly in places like China and Japan. Those kind of big fantasy VFX heavy movies always are going to do well in that market. Um, And, you know, for cultural reasons, you know, Godzilla is a Japanese creation. Looking at it from that perspective, the, some of the biggest markets where it did like crazy numbers comparative to the U.S. would be Russia, France, Germany. And those you, you mentioned the 1984 film doing very well and kind of having a second coming of sorts in those similar uh, marketplaces. Uh, I'm not super surprised. I think people were just surprised how much people seem to love it and how well like this was the biggest movie in France since Star Wars. Like it, it was on that level, um, even more than other well-known franchises like Fast and the Furious and um, some others. So it, it, I'm very pleased, of course, to see how well it is doing over there. Um, it, you know, it did kind of so-so in, in China, which was a little bit disappointing and kind of, um, you know, not as well as expected, but hopefully on part two, they can, it can uh, build upon what they've established there. But it did better than, you know, did much better than The Rise of Skywalker, which is kind of saying something, I think. They do not have that nostalgia for Star Wars like we do in the West. It's still, you know, it, it has done better than I think most people expected uh, by far. Worldwide, it's closing in on 400 million. Whether or not it'll actually reach 400 million remains to be seen, but doesn't really matter at this point it's not going to affect anything it's not going to affect how the sequel you know it's obviously already been greenlit but i don't think that's going to affect anything about how they approach the sequel financially um you know 400 million that's a very i mean that'd be a good number for this movie before the pandemic i think um you know so if you're factoring in the pandemic and and simon made a good point about people like picking and choosing like what are you going to go to the theater for and given the statistics and the box office numbers especially in the u.s domestically uh, people like it's undeniable that people actually chose they had the choice of seeing this on hbo or going to the theater and they actually chose to drive and leave their house and go to the theater to watch dune instead of just sitting at home and watching it and that's a huge testament i think to 
you know, the film itself, but also the marketing, they really pushed the IMAX angle quite a bit. It did like ridiculous numbers for IMAX domestically, especially. It's really hard to get a successful movie out there that isn't superheroes or uh, something super established like a James Bond or like a Godzilla and King Kong. It is pretty scarce. And, uh, you know, Warner Brothers, perfect example, even their kind of more high profile films this year, whether it was Space Jam 2 or The Suicide Squad, they had uh, they have not done well. They have not had a, a pleasant time trying to make these into hits. Um, you know, despite all their efforts and this, they put a lot of effort into this, no doubt, but I think organically this grew into something bigger and had that long-term success and, and strong openings and strong legs. So um, the hundred million num- uh, number that it has cracked in- domestically is that's a huge number. I think that's even more important than the 400 million um, that it, it's getting close to. So I think that's really important. That's great. Um, it's one of the biggest releases of the entire pandemic domestically worldwide. And it just, uh, you know, I had high expectations. I was more bullish on it than 99% of people probably in its financial uh, prospects, but I am still, you know, surprised and impressed. And, and I'm really, uh, I think it just bodes very well for the franchise and, you know, sky's the limit as far as what part two can do without HBO max. And hopefully fingers crossed, without as much of a restraint with regards to the pandemic. Johnny, can you translate those numbers on HBO Max accurately to what if it didn't, what if it wasn't streaming on HBO Max? Would those people have gone to the theater? I guess we don't really know, right? Yeah, it's very hard to say. And the interesting part is when those opening weekend numbers came out for how it was on HBO Max, it had like 1.9 million, I think was the the estimate or the projection based on, you know, whatever figures and algorithms they use. It was not like a very impressive number by any means. Like that was kind of, it was better than some of other Warner Brothers films this year, but it wasn't near the top necessarily. But since then, at least to my knowledge, I haven't seen any numbers or heard of any numbers since then. And and usually I haven't paying very good attention to those and I haven't seen any. I don't know what that means. I don't know if, you know, if they're intentionally not, you know, talking about them or even third parties who should have access to that haven't said anything about it to my knowledge. So it, I don't know how well it did over there. I mean, it did well enough. Clearly they saw that opening weekend and they're like, okay, we can do part two. You could look at opening weekend. Would it have added, it opened with 41 million in the U S without HBO max. Does that go to 45 million? Does it go into the fifties? Um, I would say probably around 50, just based on the hype. Often the discussion, we're, we're focusing on the, the box office numbers because that's traditionally how we're, we're gauging the success of, of movies. And like it's, it's more transparent in terms of the data that we do get. Uh, but I do want to emphasize that just because, you know, like it was on, on streaming, like um, that, that also contributes to, to a success. So like maybe we're not seeing the numbers at the moment, but for example, in the in their next uh, quarterly uh, update, we might see like numbers and the in- increase of subscribers and, and, and so on. But like wh- whether they're getting that, that money through the box office or through, through streaming, at the end of the day, that, that's still a positive impact for the movie. And of course you will have overlapping, you know, like some people, they may have gone to the, to the theater, like if it wasn't on HBO Max, but there is gonna be like a certain percentage, which, which we don't know exactly that they would have never gone to the theater regardless what, so these are people who are who are had their eyes on Dune because of this uh, this release. So it, it has it has its, its pros pros and cons. So 
I think it's, it's, it's important to keep that in, in mind that this is also contributing towards the success of these, these movies. Of course, we'll, we'll, we'll see in, in the long run how that works out. Going to our second story for today, um, we, we had um, a number of uh, film awards going on. You know, there's been all these uh, For Your Consideration campaigns. And one of the bigger news from, from last week was uh, regarding the, the, the 2022 uh, Hollywood Critics Association uh, Film Awards. And Dune was uh, nominated for uh, 10 categories. So that was their... The, the number one nominated film. So like the, um, the like in terms of a recognition, huge win uh, nominations for best picture, uh, best director and eight other uh, awards, including cinematography, uh, editing, score. So really good to see this. Uh, Johnny, I wanna hear your thoughts about um, th- these, these awards and uh, other uh, news that you've been hearing. Yeah, so yeah, we're in the, I, I should know more than anyone because I am in the North Carolina where I live, the Film Critics Association. So we are in the thick of like awards. It's not awards season necessarily because there's not a lot of awards being given out at this point. It's mostly nominations from critic groups and things like that. And then other voting uh, academies and this and like, um, but my, you can't see it, but my bedroom is loaded with screeners and books and uh all types of materials that they send out which i'm very fortunate to be a part of and very fortunate to uh you know receive that and i have a lot of movies to watch between now and the end of the year but uh, for voting purposes but yeah so this is a this is a big one you know hollywood critics association um i mean kind of says it in the title it's hollywood um so there's a lot of people who are very close to the industry, very in tune with kind of what the the culture, what the pulse of, of everything is like there. And they, in recent years, they line up pretty closely with what the Oscars do. And that's, that's the kind of the key thing here, because there's a lot of film critics groups and not to like put anyone over the other necessarily, but there's certainly, you know, New York and LA, those are where people are going to focus the most. Um, and so this is good. I mean, this is very good. Yeah, I would say for every category they do where there's like five you know, nominees um, and a lot of these categories, not every category they do is an Oscar category, but a lot of them are. Um, they, you know, I'd say three or four out of the five usually line up with what, what the Oscars do. So, um, and there's some categories that they did where I feel like it could be a one for one, like they're, they're totally on the right track. Um, and yeah, do, doing really well, showing up in all those spots. Um, this was really like kind of the first true indication um because it's a long way and it seems like every day there's some new critics group or some other voting body is putting together their nominations or announcing their winners and this is this is a really good one and we'll see when they announce the winners and i think that's in the beginning of january how many it actually ends up winning which could be none but it could be some um which i imagine it will be and so that, that'll be really cool as well. But yeah, it's a good number. I mean, that's pretty much the number for any voting body, um, especially the significant ones, like the real, the televised shows like BAFTA or Critics' Choice or the Oscars. These are the categories. Those are the categories where, and those shows where you, I expect it to show up with nine, 10, 11 nominations and several wins. Today, actually, we had the <clears throat> American Film Institute they do their top 10 films of the year. They also do their top 10 television shows of the year. 
And this year with the top 10 films, Dune was once again, you know, they were included in this one as well. And so they're already, if you've checked Dune social media, uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, they posted, you know, their, their new uh, piece, the new, their new graphic with that. And this is, this will stack up throughout the next few weeks, you'll notice. So on, last week they had their national board of review stamp on there. And then this week they posted, Oh, American film Institute. And it, they added the stamp right next to the national board of review one. So and next week when the golden globe nominations come out and uh, some other awards critics choice as well, they'll just, this whole graphic will just fill up with uh, award nominations and award wins and, they're going to they're going to pump that up uh the dune marketing team will certainly be pumping that they'll be using that to their advantage especially with the home release right around the corner still exciting it's kind of like sports like you just root for it and if they you know if they don't get it eh, what are you going to do you know like there's there's not not it's totally out of your control and doesn't ultimately matter that much um but it is nice for them to get recognition because of course as we all know they put a lot of planning and detail and thought into making this movie in every single department and uh yeah, so it's nice to see that it's already gaining traction. And I certainly expect next week, I believe it's Monday morning, we will get the Golden Globe nominations and we will also get the Critics' Choice nominations. So it will certainly be there. It will certainly be popping up uh, and getting um, some significant uh, traction and, and again, uh, attention uh, with those two. So, um, yeah, this is exciting. Uh, if you notice from from these ten nominations, none of them were for specific acting categories. Uh, let me ask you, Garen, does that surprise you that uh, that there have been specific callouts for the actors themselves? I was a little uncomfortable with the fact that there wasn't any mention. And I know we've talked about on here before that when you compare the acting performances uh, with what's out there, at least in this in this uh, awards season this year, that it it doesn't quite compare. I, I guess the thought that comes to my mind is, but can you take it within the context of that story? And maybe that's a cop-out, but I, I feel like to be in a movie, the way these audiences are completely enraptured in watching Dune, it, it means the acting is being done superbly well. So I, I guess, and, and Johnny, maybe you have more thoughts on this, but to me, it feels a little, a little disjointed or a little imbalanced that there wouldn't be even one acknowledgement because I thought the acting was fantastic. I thought it was well beyond what I've experienced so many times in a Star Wars film or a, or, or a Marvel film. Yeah, that is certainly true. I think, you know, they talk about genre bias, and I think that was a big reason why people were kind of skeptical of Dune even being a major awards player this year, even though all the signs were there and I tried to tell people that. Um, and it has overcome that significantly in a lot of departments. But acting, even the greatest genre exercises and masterpieces, whether that's, you know, in recent history, at least something like Mad Max Fury Road or Blade Runner 2049 or Interstellar or, uh, you know, any of these others, I mean, it might get all the technical nominations or awards in the world, but it the acting never comes into play. Like they never even like really look at it, which is unfortunate. I mean, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar is an amazing performance. Anyone that's seen that movie, um, probably my favorite of his, and arguably his best. You know, Fury Road, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, 
incredible. Like you couldn't imagine the movie without them. And Charlize Theron in particular, I thought was amazing. Um, and Ryan Gosling, even, you know, Blade Runner 2049 got overlooked a lot for awards and Villeneuve is certainly getting his, uh, his kind of, uh, revenge with this season. But, um, I think Ryan Gosling, I mean, he is an amazing actor and that is an amazing performance and maybe his best as well. So it's just a lot of times, whether it's sci-fi action, you know, these movies seem to get really overlooked, unfortunately. Um, I know this is a competitive season, as you mentioned. So maybe regardless, you know, there are some categories like what I'm voting for. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be nominating any of the performances in this movie. Um, I'm certainly thinking about it, but there, it is strong competition. And I say that as like a doom shill, as everyone knows. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, you only get so many choices. And in some of these, you know, some some groups do it differently. Some add more nominations. You are more likely to see certain people pop up. I will say we should acknowledge and shout out. I will do it. The Sunset Circle Awards, which is another critics group in, in L.A., they uh, only got established last year, I think. So this is their second uh, season of this. And I don't know how many members there are. I do know a few of the names of the people involved and um, some some interesting uh, choices, but they got a lot of attention because it was like, people were like, this is like the Dune Awards because they clearly loved Dune. Um, and some of the winners and nominations, they were for acting. So um, uh, the winner of their, they have a scene stealer category. And the winner of that was Sharon Duncan Brewster uh, for playing Leah Kynes in Dune, which I thought was pretty awesome for best ensemble cast. Uh, Dune won actually um, beating out Coda, which was the runner up. Uh, best supporting actress runner-up was Rebecca Ferguson um, and Katrina Balfe from Belfast. They gave uh, her the win uh, and then it won best director and then it won best film. So, and that's just a, you know, a small credit group, but at least it's showing that there is some serious consideration in, in some circles, at least that that the acting in the movie, the cast, of the movie should be considered. And I think it really should. I mean, critics choice is another group where they do have a larger uh, acting nomination selection than like the oscars for example which is only five um i would love to see rebecca ferguson pop up there maybe timothy chalamet um and then also sag the sag awards that's a very actor focused of course screen actors guild uh very uh, acting focused <clears throat> group and they nominate a best ensemble and a lot of of course a lot of these people are talking about belfast and and Tick, Tick, Boom, and West Side Story, and, and uh, King Richard, which are all, I've seen some of those, they're great performances and great ensembles. But I think Dune, it, so much of it relies on the cast, and the cast is so well cast and so perfectly acted and attuned to those roles. I think it would be a, it would be a, a disappointment, I think, if, if not only just one person didn't get you know, noticed, but the entire cast. And I think that would, be, that would be a nice place for them to show up this season, I think. Um, and that's, the film has gotten a lot of traction, a lot of attention. So maybe it will, maybe it won't, but uh, that remains to be seen. And I, there's a lot of elements to it there. And Gary, you kind of hit hit the nail on the head. It, it's interesting to me, though, that in this in this era of inclusion and non-bias and that there is, I can see it. I'm not an expert like you, Johnny, but I can see the bias uh, against uh, sci-fi and fantasy films and uh generally speaking, right? I mean, Lord of the Rings garnered quite a few awards, but I, I hope that that bias can be, uh, can be neutralized somehow because 
Um, you're right. There are a lot of great films, a lot of great acting uh, in, in this season. But again, uh, you can't have a spectacular uh, enveloping type of a film without excellent acting, right? So <laughs> can't that be acknowledged? I hope one day it can. Ian McKellen, he got nominated for Fellowship of the Ring, which is an amazing nomination, especially in retrospect. But you're telling me no one else deserves to get nominated from the Lord of the Rings, one of the best casts of all time. I mean, Return of the King. I mean, what's going on in that movie, um, like on the acting level, like everyone is just bringing their, their A game like so hard. Sean Astin in particular, I think. Like, how do you not recognize him? I, I think that's just crazy. And that's one of the, bi the biggest Oscar sweep of all time. Not a single you know, acting nomination for Return of the King. Uh, likewise with Star Wars, I mean, you go back to Alec Guinness, who actually did get nominated for the original Star Wars, but I don't think there's been any nominations since then, um, which, you know, you could debate about. But I will say the one silver lining potentially going forward is that if anything, the acting is only going to get better, I would say. Um, they're going to get more comfortable in these roles. They're going to earn more respect in these roles. They're going to become more famous for these roles. And that's something where I think, and, and there's a lot of great dramatic content on the way, especially if they get to Dune Messiah. Um, so I think Chalamet certainly has a play there. People love Zendaya. If she gets a beefier role as Chani in the next movie or two, that's something they could look forward to as well. And then Rebecca Ferguson, of course, is like Jessica, who's being getting a lot of love so far, but not necessarily with the nominations and awards. I think those are some areas that could be interesting and, you know, could potentially garner more attention in the next uh, entries. Next, let's go so into some expanded uh, news. The Duneverse, books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. So our first uh, story in this uh, segment is uh, the video games. So we, we haven't uh, talked about video games almost at all in the show, and that's because there really hasn't been much to talk about. Uh, but finally, the past week, we got uh, an, an update on the, basically, it's, it's called uh, the unannounced uh, Dune survival game that, uh, that Funcom is, is working on. So they first acquired the rights from, uh, from Legendary in 2019, and we know that they started work uh, later that, that year, and there have been uh, some uh, job postings uh, in 2020. We got, we got some teaser images that were later taken down, uh, but it's been made clear throughout that this is... Um, you know, several years uh, away still. Uh, but finally, we got the news that uh, Funcom is actually partnering with another studio, uh, Nuclear, which is a, it's a hybrid studio that's based in German, Germany, but they have um, uh, pe people, employees like all over the world. So they also have uh, like a component of remote uh, work. And so they're going to be teaming up uh, together on, on this game. And the biggest takeaway for, for me, at least, is that they're, they're talking about how the scope of this, this game, like on the nuclear website, it talks about like how that, uh, you know, they're coming on board to help support the expanded scope of, of Dune. And um, there's the quote from Funcom's uh, uh, CEO, Rui Kassais, as the Dune open world survival game is the most ambitious project we've ever undertaken at Funcom, having skilled and reliable partners is an absolute must. So they're really talking up um, the, the scale of this, this game. Uh, I want to hear from, from you, Simon. Are, are you excited about this project? So I'll be honest. I'm not a big gamer. I play my FIFA. I still have my PS4. Like we were talking before recording, PS5s are, it's like, where's Waldo kind of? They're impossible to find. Um, if it's done right, 
it will make me want to upgrade to a next gen system and as much as i love dune so i would probably definitely check up to check out the game yeah i'm i'm probably the wrong person to ask but i do love a good game like i remember when the first Knights of the old republic came out i spent six months playing that game every day and you know a couple of my friends were like are you are you ever going to come back outside i'm like no it's cool i'm in star wars land i'm having fun uh so yes i'm interested i'm also interested in knowing what type of game it's going to be if it's going to be mission based or if it's going to be like walk around inside the environment so for now i'll be playing fifa and one day i know i'll have a i'll have a dune game somewhere out there so this is a dream come true for me because in 1980 would have been 80 probably five i was in a computer class where we were learning basic and i tried to design (laughs) <laughs> a Dune game. And of course I didn't get very far, right? Because you can't do a lot with basic, but to be able to, I, I, as a teenager, I envisioned what it would feel like. And I, I, I even remember having this prescient moment where I could picture what if it was so photorealistic that you felt like you were there. So I'm not a gamer, but I am over the moon excited about this because to be able to kind of fulfill that uh, teenage sort of fantasy I had would be totally cool. And with, you know, with now with the games and, and of course my kids play games. And so I do sometimes just the immersive experience is just incredible now. So I think it has a lot of potential. And, and what I read is that it's, it's going to be survival based, which makes a lot of sense. You can go in a lot of directions with that, uh, with, with the Dune universe and the planet so I'm, I'm over the moon excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, and Funcom are the makers of the, the game Conan Exiles. I haven't played it myself, but I've, I've heard some good things about it. But like what stands out from that game is it is really open world. So there, there is a lot of, uh, it's a sandbox type game. There's, you know, there's uh, character creation elements, there's survival, you can go hunting, fishing. There's uh, player versus environment challenges. There's player versus uh, player combat. And it's a game that continues to receive expansions. Like uh, when when I was uh, doing research about it, I saw that they, you know, just released an expansion in the previous week and added more elements to the game. Uh, So yeah, it does seem that there is a lot of um, opportunity um, in in that regard. Johnny, have have you heard anything? You know, I haven't really been too uh, like informed on this front. I know I knew for a long time though they had been planning on doing some Dune games, uh, different you know, styles of games. And I grew up, I mean, I grew up playing PlayStation and PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4, and now PS5. I don't do it as much as I used to just because I have so much movie stuff going on. And, you know, being an adult in the real world, having a job and everything certainly gets in the way of that and uh, relationships and all that good stuff. Um, But I certainly still love, I love playing games and but yeah, it's hard to say. It's like with video games, I can't really get that interest or excited just hearing like words <laughs> like because I feel like so often and, you know, gamers know all about this, like you get burned or you get told something's going to be a certain way or it might look a certain way. And then ultimately it is nothing like that. It doesn't play like that. It doesn't look like that. Um, so 
I think, I mean, an open world Dune game with amazing, you know, next gen graphics and gameplay and action. I think that would be like unbelievable. You know, we'll see where this goes. There's, you know, two years until the next movie. Maybe things will change. Maybe they'll gain more leverage um, and and try to do something else or move it or, uh, you know, there's a lot that could happen. But uh, I'm certainly interested if they were to come out with a an impressive, a good, all I want is a good game. I don't really care how you get it done <laughs> um, or who's making it or what the style is. If it's fun, if it's interesting, um, I'll spend money on it and play it. And, and there's, there's several directions it could go in. Like, you know, they could just take an existing game and sort of like reskin it to make it Dune. And then it, it'll be interesting, right? Because you can spend some hours exploring like uh, Arrakis and like uh, nature and going through the survival elements, you know, maybe some uh, Fremen fighting against Har- Harkonnen. So I think it, there will always be some enjoyment. I think what, what I most want to like hear is what, what the story element is going to be like, you know, what sort of narrative that they're going to tie into game. Because for, for me, that will like make make or break whether this is going to be like a success uh, or not but we'll, we'll have to see on on that um and yeah I, I do want to comment so as mentioned this this game they they've said themselves in inter- interviews as, as recent as last year that this is still still several years away and we don't normally do like uh unverified rumors on do newsnet but i just wanted to mention that there there has been um like an a list of game release dates you know like it had a bunch of different games on it and this game was listed for 2023 which could totally be a placeholder it could be that the list was not accurate at all uh but it would totally make sense you know that they're sort of saying okay like the first movie has done done well now we have part two in 2023 let's really accelerate and like go all full speed ahead to get a a game out there so that that could be a possibility that we, we will see it then but yeah again like this is um unverified rumors, so don't want to get anybody's uh, hopes up. Last uh, story for today is um, we got the preview for Dune, A Whisper of Cal and Seas. So this is the next uh, comic book one shot that's coming out from uh, Boom Studios. So uh, they've, they've been doing the, the House Atreides comic series, which is just wrapped out. It was a 12 issue limited series, which basically adapted the, the whole of the, uh, the expanded novel Dune House Atreides. Uh, we also got in the summer an, an earlier one shot, which was uh, Dune, uh, Blood of the Sardaukar. And now we have uh, Dune and Whisper of Cal and Seas. And both of these, these one shots, they're set uh, uh, during the assault on, on Arakeen. So it's uh, basically tying into, into the movie. We saw those events on screen, like the Harkonnens and Sardaukar attacking the, the Trades and the complete overwhelmed uh, chaos. And there was a lot going on there. So from the previous one shot, we got to see it from the Sardaukar perspective. And now we're going to get to see it from the perspective of uh, Atreides uh, soldiers. Uh, so Simon, starting with you, have you already like had a look at the preview? Any first thoughts? Yeah. So um, as people may remember, I was a big fan of the blood of the Sardaukar. And like I said in my original review, it's interesting because you see it from a different point of view. And now we're going to get it from the Atreides look of it. So I'm always a fan when it, like I like to say, when it switches camera angles and goes to a different point of view. So the art, I'm not totally sold on, but that's, you know, everyone has their opinion on the art. I will definitely be picking this up. I'm curious. I love that they're doing this. I would love if they do even more little side stories eventually so doing comics are good um i know that my local comic store 
sells out pretty fast, which I'm kind of surprised and kind of happy. And I've heard they've been having to go back and reorder some of the House of Trady stuff that we'll eventually dive into. So I think it comes out the last week of the year, which is crazy that the year is almost over, but that's a different story. Um, I'll be reading it and tell you what I think of it when it comes out. Uh, Garen, does this uh, premise uh, interest you? Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised with Blood of Sardaukar. Um, I, I used to be much more into comics than I, than I have been in recent years, but I really enjoyed, in fact, in subsequent viewings of, of Dune, um, I remember kind of thinking back, watching the Sardaukar uh, in, the, in the fighting sequences in the film, actually thinking back to that, that comic, uh, Blood of the Sardaukar, where it really fleshes out you know, how these, how these people become these bloodthirsty killers and what they have to go through in the, uh, you know, the, the world that they have to grow up in to become who they are. And I loved the dimensions and the depth that that created. And, and I realize, you know, you, we can get into the canon discussion that that's not, you know, officially a part of, of the Dune novel, but I actually, I, I really want this, um, to really expand beyond and to, to have more detail and more nuances related to the film that I just have seen a whole bunch of times. I, I really like that. So the premise of this is interesting because I love the way uh, Villeneuve did this battle sequence and, and the attack on Eric I thought he, I thought he really nailed it, but there could be a lot of aspects to that that would be really interesting to see. And this is one of them, right? So this is, this is going to get into more detail about, about the, the Atreides uh, soldiers and what they have to go through. And, and there's kind of a story along, uh, you know, saving this, this group of soldiers. So I, I'm really all for this. I, I really was uh, pleased with the blood of the Sardaukar. And if this is equal to that in the storytelling depth, then, uh, then I'm excited to read it. I agree with you completely about going back and rewatching the movie and Blood of Sadakar is on my mind quite a bit when I go back and watch it, especially when we see them, when Piter comes and kind of tells them, hey, the Emperor needs you to do this mission. It's having more respect for the Sadakars, I guess, and knowing what they've been through. Yeah, and it's uh, worth noting that that both uh, Blood of the Sarkar and, and this uh, upcoming uh, one-shot, so they're, they're basically 40-page uh, uh, issue comics, and so they're self-contained story. You just have to pick up that one and you get the complete story. They're, they're, they're both based on uh, short stories that were, were, were written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, so part of the uh, expanded Dune um, materials that, that they've written. Um, and this was actually based on the very first uh, short story that, that they wrote together. So even before Dune House of Trey. So I believe uh, nine, 1997, 1998. So the story itself has been out there uh, for some time and it's available in, uh, in short, uh, short story corrections. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I, I agree with uh, what you're saying, Garen. It's, it's great to see this, uh, these different perspectives ex expanding on, on what we've seen on, on screen. So hopefully that uh, other people are enjoying that as well. Um, so, Joy, I know that you said you, you weren't reading the, the earlier comics. Does the premise of, of like a one-shot uh, self-constrained story uh, appeal to you, or is this something that you're going to uh, skip? Yeah, I love one-shots. Um, I have yet to read Blood of Sardaukar. 
just because again, there's like a million things I feel like are going on, but um, I do, I would like to read it at some point because I've heard nothing but good things and from you guys, especially, I think it bodes well. So I'd be curious to see what you guys think about this. And then, uh, you know, if and when, hopefully after that, I, I can get kind of caught up on both. And I, I'm curious to see where the comics go in the next two, three years with the franchise and the position it is now. I think um, there's a lot of possibility there and getting even, you know, it's not all about the names of the artists and, and the writers and whatnot, but I think it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, who, who else shows, you know, interest as a creator on the creator side um, and who, who the, uh, who they'd look to go after as far as stories they can tell stories that they can tell totally, you know, separate from what's going on in the movies, but also potentially lining up with the movies adjacent to the movies, whatever. You know, we're at the early stages of this Dune fandom which is a really exciting place to be. I, I like the fact that so far uh, with these one shots, we really do have alignment, you know? So Brian Herbert and Herbert Properties, I, I like the fact that we're, we're keeping this aligned. Uh, we're not, I mean, we're, we, they're introducing new characters. These are names that, that I'm not familiar with from, from the original novels, but I like that they're holding true uh, to the rules that, that, that Frank Herbert established, you know, in this universe. So I, I hope that as we continue and this, this fandom is going to, is going to grow um, and it could become far more widespread than even the four of us think it will. But I hope that somewhere along the line, it doesn't branch out and become so diverse because that's what kind of happened with me a little bit with, with star Wars. Obviously I, I grew up, you know, with those original films, but it got to the point where some of the, some of the derivative creative works were so far beyond my, my realm of experience that they didn't appeal to me. I know they did appeal to, to many other people and maybe even some of my close friends, if I recall correctly. So I do like that reading both, I haven't read this one yet, but the new, the blood of Sardaukar, I like that it felt like it fit right into Frank Herbert's world. So I just wanted to mention that because that as a, as a, as a real fan, I want to make sure that, you know, this is all aligned and it all feels appropriate. Maybe I'll change my mind as the years go by and, and it'll be, it'll be acceptable to me to, to have it, you know, go in nine different directions with, you know, completely different ideas. Um, so anyway, I, that's just something that's important to me as a fan. You know, I agree with you, Garen, about Star Wars. I, also grew up with the original three, then fell in love with the prequels. But, and I don't want to bash Disney per se, but since Disney has come around, there's some stuff where I'm like, is it even necessary? Like the Bad Batch. They can do with the comics is we know there's a gap between one, part one and part two of the movie. So what if they tell the stories, like maybe side stories that set up part two also for the audience? the people that haven't read the book. Maybe we get a one shot of, you know, Raban, what is he up to? Maybe we get a Stilgard one shot as we get closer to part two and kind of reintroduce these characters to fans that were just introduced with this movie. Or maybe they're like, oh, wait, I'll pick up this comic. I heard the first movie's good. And that gives them a chance to go back and it creates hype around part two when we get closer to it. I know they did like a Kylo Ren one shot, a Snoke one shot before that horrible movie that is The Rise of Skywalker. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's just so, so much opportunity directions that they, they could go in. Like as mentioned, we're, we're talking about like the movie, like and most of the stuff here has been either like a prequel to the movie or sort of tied into that, that area. But also when they, you know, because we have the Dune the Sisterhood TV series that's coming up and that's going to be an opportunity to tell, you know, completely original uh, stories that haven't been, you know, told before in, in any format. So, yeah, like really, uh, I think the sky's the limit in terms of potential, but I, I definitely agree with, with Garen's point. I think it's important that they stay true uh, to the original story and the universe that, that Frank Herbert created. You know, it's hard to imagine this becoming like a Star Wars style situation I, i'm not a star wars fan so i don't care but like i think that it is yeah it can be a slippery slope and you want you still want to maintain that artistic integrity and you still want to respect the source material and have it all make sense and make it seem worthwhile you don't want to just be doing it for you know money's sake or just to keep the rights or things like that that kind of come around so We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, that's just kind of my feelings. And I, I agree with kind of what you all are saying about that. And it's very early. It's so early. Um, you know, it, it took Star Wars how long to get to where it is now? I mean, I don't think anyone expected in the 70s and 80s that this was going to be going on now. You know what I mean? Um, no one could have anticipated the prequels or the sequels or Disney taking over. Uh, that's like a, a, a kind of surreal situation. So We'll see. And in Star Wars Dune, a lot of comparison there, but it's not it's not really totally valid. Like there's not the wide, um, all-encompassing uh, you know, I think accessibility of Dune that Star Wars has. Um I'm so that's again why I'm so impressed and happy that it's doing as well as it is and with different demographics and age groups and, and, you know, genders and, and uh, generations and everything. I think that's very, very heartening. Um, and hopefully for years to come, we'll see, we'll see what it looks like. But for now, I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to focus like on the movie side of it. And then if anything else pops up and ends up impressing me, I'll be just, it'll just be extra, I suppose. Dune is not the real Joseph W. Campbell hero's journey and Star Wars is. So, mm -hmm. so Johnny's talking about this, you know, vast uh, mega appeal of Star Wars. People don't realize it yet, but that's not what Dune is. It's the antithesis of that. And so it'll be interesting. And I'm, I'm thrilled that people are liking it because that's actually what I love so much about the original stories is that it's not the standard hero's journey. It causes you to question religion, uh, government, uh, politics, everything, society. I love that. So it's it's just totally different. I agree with you completely. It's especially after I was editing the last show, I was just in the back of my head. I was like, oh, people are not ready. I mean, we've been warning them. <laughs> but if Messiah comes around, people are really not ready. Like, I don't know how they're going to even market it as something that's friendly to some audiences. You know, it's just, it's going to get dark. It's going to get, it's going to get dark. It's going to get morbid. It's going to, it's not that journey. It's, it is a hero's journey, but it, I mean, I guess the book's been out for 
Um, I'm talking about Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. I think the book's been out for like 20 plus years because the movie's been out 20 years. It's very much, you think it's going one way. And I'm not saying Paul has a twin or an imaginary friend like in Fight Club. Um, but it's that twist that you don't see coming and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> I can say other words, but I don't want to get centered on this. It's going to be awesome because <laughs> people are just going to be like wow and it's just i can't wait yeah yeah you think anakin goes dark <laughs> no yeah that's the that's like the whole thing I and mean, we talked about this and i'm not going to belabor the point too much but at the end of our movie discussion i was really thinking about and talking about like that tent scene again there's so much that is going to go back to that. And people are going to look at that so much and it really tear it apart. And the fact that Villeneuve is intending to do not just part two, but then a Dune Messiah film, if he gets his way, that cohesion is going to be so great and important. And that visual language and all the illusions and hints, I think are all going to line up very well. And he's such a meticulous filmmaker and artist that I think it's going to be, you just, you really kind of ask for a better person to take this on and I, i've been saying that for a long time i think everyone's aware of that by now but it's really going to be this was the easy part in a way like like as far as making it seem like oh you know this like you're familiar with this like you can watch this and kind of keep up um and and still part two is going to be he says it's going to be more exciting it's going to be more action more entertaining he's set up he thinks that that's going to be an easier movie because he's already done the groundwork, which it, that in that instance, yes, it will be much easier. But for the, from a storytelling perspective and a character perspective, I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see how they do it, how they pull it off and how they present it and how people ultimately react to it. Because that's going that I think certainly how part two is received by fans, by general audience, by critics, awards, financials, all that that is going to be the key to whether or not Dune Messiah happens. Because even if they go ahead and do Dune Messiah, because part two does so well, and Dune Messiah just like pisses everyone off and they hate it. And they're like, no, this is the worst. And not, you know, hashtag not my Paul. Like <laughs> that, that will be, who's, who cares at that point? Because the building have got to tell his story. It's done essentially. You know, maybe that would have ramifications with other shows or spinoff projects, but we would have the trilogy that he wants to do and we would really have a significant story character arc. And I think that, so I think that is, that is why I'm so confident that that will end up happening. Cause I think part two is going to be just exciting and, and entertaining and action packed and accessible enough, or even if it's starting to allude to certain things going on or what might come and that will be upsetting or like will have its detractors. It's not really going to matter that much. And so yeah, that's very exciting. I think that's what we're all like. I don't want to rush through this journey that we're all going on or like about to go on, but I, I can't wait to see what that's what that's going to look like. But let me just paint the picture and then I'll stop talking. I promise. But let's just in our prescient visions as a, as a team here, just imagine Children of Dune, God Emperor. Just imagine what that experience would be like on the epic scale that, that Villeneuve can do, right? Now, will audiences be able to handle it? Will they run out of the, the theater screaming? I don't know, but 
I just would love for that to happen because that's, that was my experience reading those books is it was like, I, I traveled to a completely different universe. It was awesome. And yeah, just, just talking about this, we're, we're just like touching this, the surface, but there's going to be so much for us to, to dig into in the coming months, uh, years. So uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned. You're, we're we're going to go deep on, on this show. Uh, for now, though, that's, that's all the news that we have for, uh, for this week. So we're going to wrap up there. And uh, yeah, look forward to uh, our next episode. We're going to have a special guest uh, interview, uh, someone who was involved in the movie. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was all for the show today. So, uh, Simon, where, where can people find you? So I'm mostly on Insta, uh, Twitter, S. Dowdy. Uh, first in the show, last name. I hate saying it, but like we've been saying, it's only the beginning. I'm excited for more Dune content. And I'm kind of excited that we can talk about more Dune that's not involving the movie. Hey, uh, just excited to, to go through all these uh different aspects of the of the dune fandom at this point so uh, you can find me on twitter at dune companion and appreciate all the support love all your comments uh you know please uh send more comments thoughts ideas uh critiques whatever i i love all your interactions so thanks yes i certainly echo all of that i love you know I would still love it if I've said this before, probably, but just if we were all sitting here talking to no one, like they would still, yeah, I'd still get gratification out of that. Um, but yeah, certainly having people watch and listen and, and leave questions and comments and um, you know, that, that certainly means a lot. And uh, we appreciate that. And I like interacting and, and responding. So please, uh, you know, stay tuned. We have a lot to come uh, in the next weeks and months and, you know, beyond the movie and with part two and comics and video games, clearly, as we've talked about today, there's a lot to uh, think about. And it seems like, you know, we find you know, it's funny because the movie has been out for quite a, a while now, especially in other parts of the world. It's, I feel like every week I'm like, what are we going to have to talk about? And then of course we still talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, so hopefully people are, uh, are pleased by that, but uh, yeah, Johnny Sobchak, you can find me on Twitter if you haven't already um, for more Dune takes and and movie related takes and things like that and uh we'll see you soon and this was marcus gabriel editor at dunewsnet.com and you can find me on twitter and instagram at dunewsnet so talk to you next week we hope you've enjoyed dune talk remember to like subscribe and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops stay tuned to dunewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.